Welcome once again to Lato's Law. Here's Steve Lato. We've talked before about that uh, safe deposit box raid in California where the police got a, a warrant to go in and seize the framework around some safe deposit boxes. And as part of that, they said, well, you know, we've really got to open up all those safe deposit boxes that are inside that framework and inventory what's inside them. And then after they did that, they said, well, a lot of this stuff appears to be uh, the fruit of crime or possibly something will be used in a crime. Therefore, we're going to seize it under civil asset forfeiture. All kinds of litigation ensued. And um, somewhere along the line, the FBI admitted that they went in with the plan to not only seize the framework around the boxes, but the contents of all the boxes, if the contents were worth more than $5,000. That was their intention. That was their plan. Interestingly, though, that plan was not laid out in their application for the search warrant. The application for the search warrant and so on was talking about grabbing the nest because the nest or the framework of those boxes belonged to the business where that was, and they had the goods, supposedly, on the people who ran the business. But the people whose stuff was in those boxes were individuals unrelated to that business, except that they paid, in essence, rent on those boxes. So now there's an interesting twist here in the Wall Street Journal. Uh, this is actually an op-ed piece written by an attorney for the Institute for Justice. How the FBI took an innocent woman's savings. She stands accused of no crime, but the Bureau seized her money anyway. Robert Frommer wrote this. The FBI regularly seizes cash, cars, and other valuables that belong to people who are not accused of any crimes. Months later, many of those people receive a dense boilerplate notice stating that the FBI plans to keep their property forever without any explanation of why, which, of course, is a blatantly unconstitutional practice. And by the way, every time I do a story like this, people say, Steve, somebody should fight this on Fifth Amendment grounds. <laughs> It's been fought on every ground there is, and the courts have not yet said that this practice is wrong. So that's what happened to this woman here when the FBI took her life savings from a safe deposit box during that raid in 21 at U.S. private vaults in Beverly Hills, California. She assumed her money would be given back to her because it was, after all, her money. The company's alleged wrongdoing had nothing to do with her. But several months later, she received a notice stating that the government wanted to forfeit her money. And she did not know this, but hundreds of other innocent people who had their safe deposit boxes taken also got the same notice. The notice's dense language pointed to the Bureau's statutory authority for forfeiting property. And then they cite all kinds of laws, such as the Tariff Act of 1930, espionage laws, rules against business dealings with North Korea, and so on. They did not accuse her of dealing with North Korea, but they listed all these statutes and said, we're allowed to do this under many of these statutes. Kind of like pick and choose, you know? So, confused, she looked at the options, and one of them said that she could file a petition with the FBI. So she did that. But she later discovered that by doing that, she had conceded her property's forfeitability, leaving it to the Bureau to decide if they'd give her life savings back as a matter of just goodwill. So you wouldn't know that by reading the notice, and the average person wouldn't be able to figure that out. Almost two years later, her money still sits in a government account with no indication of whether or not it will be returned. So she doesn't know. 
So this is not unusual. The FBI sends out similarly inscrutable notices whenever it wants to forfeit property in a clear violation of the Fifth Amendment, which says the government has to provide due process before depriving you of your property. That means saying what it thinks you did wrong, not stringing together legal gibberish. And by the way, it's also giving you an opportunity to be heard in an attempt to get your stuff back. FBI has, of course, an incentive to stretch the law to breaking, given that federal agencies keep the proceeds from forfeited property. In the U.S. private vaults case, the FBI admitted under oath that even before the raid happened, they had decided to pursue property forfeiture against everything worth over $5,000 in those boxes. Using federal forfeiture records, the Institute for Justice calculated that from 2017 to 2021, the Justice Department agencies gained more than $8 billion through forfeiture. $8 billion. And that's with the FBI taking in about $1.19 billion of that. Courts have already denounced the Bureau's practices in an earlier lawsuit that the Institute for Justice brought regarding U.S. private vaults. A federal judge declared the FBI notices anemic and immediately halted forfeiture proceedings for their clients. So you ask, well, then what's the story here? Well, the ruling applied only to the named plaintiffs in that suit. So the woman in this case and hundreds of others did not get the same relief. So a couple days ago, the Institute for Justice, on behalf of this woman, filed a new class action lawsuit in the District of Columbia seeking to help anyone nationwide who received one of those deficient notices from the FBI. Courts must demand justice by preventing agencies from forfeiting property without informing owners of what they did wrong. Only then will the Constitution's demand for due process be satisfied. So this is more fallout from that uh, private vault company in Beverly Hills, U.S. private vaults. And um, we've talked about this because there's a whole ton of litigation about that and about the legality of it. And the weird part about it is, is that when the FBI went and got a warrant, there's an affidavit that they fill out to explain their probable cause for getting a warrant. And then afterwards, there's all kinds of hearings and that affidavit became something people could look at. It appears, based on the affidavit and also testimony that's now been taken in some of those cases, that the FBI knew all along they were planning on keeping and seizing the contents of many of those boxes. Uh, but they didn't disclose that in their application for the uh, warrant. Um, and, you know, geez, is that an oversight? I don't know. But right now, the interesting thing is the Institute for Justice is pointing out that if you ran afoul of the FBI and they seized your stuff, they would send you this notice of just boilerplate legalese nonsense that you're supposed to wade through and figure out what your rights are and whether or not the FBI's got a case against you. But the interesting thing, of course, is not that they've got a case against you. It's you've got to prove you're innocent. So you'd have to go through and prove that you're not doing business with North Korea. You have to go through and prove that you are not a spy. You have to go through and prove, and that's the other problem with this. So I believe it's wrong for the government to seize your stuff without accusing you of a crime. But I think it's even worse. They say, oh, and by the way, you've got to prove your innocence because that burden of proof is the opposite of what most Americans assume is the situation when they go into court. That is, if you are accused of something, they will let you know what you're accused of and they've got to prove it 
beyond a reasonable doubt for it to have any effect. And instead, no, 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 civil asset forfeiture? Well, we've got your stuff. We think you're guilty of something. Prove to us that you're not guilty of anything. Prove to us that. And the old thing about how you disprove a negative. It's extremely difficult to disprove when you understand that they're saying, well, you might be a spy. You might be dealing with North Korea. You might... Oh, I've got to disprove that, do I? Oh, okay, that makes a lot of sense. So many people who hear about civil asset forfeiture for the first time go, that can't be right. There, there must be something wrong here. Oh, there's something wrong here. Civil asset forfeiture is what's wrong here. And so this needs to stop. So the Institute for Justice is a great organization or a nonprofit, and they fight these kinds of battles because, as I pointed out many times before, if the government takes your money and you've got to sue them to get it back and prove your own innocence, that can get costly. And the government knows that. And so they can make you run up legal fees to the point where it's not worth doing anymore. If they took $5,000 from you, are you going to pay an attorney $10,000 to get it back? Some people would, as a matter of principle. Other people couldn't afford it. That's, that's what they, they, they know that's the case with many people. So the Institute for Justice has stepped in here as a class action, and they've said, look, Anybody who got one of these notices is a member of that class. And we're going to represent this and we're going to litigate this once and for all to take a look at these notices and have a court rule on whether or not these notices are legal. And if they're not, perhaps they can get relief for all the people who got those notices. And that would appear to apply to a lot of people in the private vaults case as well in Beverly Hills, but just people across the country whose money was seized by the FBI. So I will mention this as I always do. The Institute for Justice is a wonderful organization. Uh, I highly recommend you visit their website. They get involved in great cases like this, but they're supported by people like you and me. So if you're inclined to donate some money, please do so. They, they exist entirely off of the goodwill of people who want to support their cause. And they do the work that other people won't do, can't do, can't afford to do, whatever it might be. And when you look at the stories they do, they are righteous stories, meaning that it's good that they stepped in to take care of this person because this person deserved it. And this case over here, that case also, they stepped in and they're taking care of that case because they deserved it. And without them, these cases would not get litigated. That's the scary part. So James and John both sent this. Thanks a lot from the Wall Street Journal. Robert Frommer wrote it. He's the attorney representing the woman. But how the FBI took an innocent woman's savings and how the Institute's fighting to get it back. Questions or comments, put them below. Let's talk to you later. Bye-bye. Thank you for watching Lato's Law. Time between slipping on a peel and smacking the pavement equals one banana second.